episode, I speak with Pam Opoka. Pam spent 15 years working as a dispatcher and knows firsthand the mental and physical risks posed by the cumulative stress associated with working under the headset. As we all know, many Americans are feeling the collective impact of the events of the past year. But for first responders, these events, along with the nature of the work, have a compounding effect. In years past, dispatchers have often been forgotten in the first responder world, but Pam is making sure that 911 operators don't get lost in the mix. Vicarious trauma, compassion fatigue, and burnout result from being exposed to the suffering of others. This can lead to poor quality of life, depression, anxiety, weight gain, post-traumatic stress, high blood pressure, diabetes, and a whole host of other physical, mental, and emotional issues. Pam is a change leader who builds programs and is passionate about helping her fellow dispatchers through their 52-member 911 roving peer support team and wellness programs for resiliency. Pam also manages a 53-member command-level peer support team, which she talks about in the podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Today, I'm speaking with Pam Opoka. Pam is the Public Safety Coordinator and Peer Support Program Planner at the Mid-America Regional Training Council, or MARC. She has over 25 years of experience in public safety and has a master's degree in public administration and is an ENP, which stands for Emergency Number Professional. Pam is active in university research projects for peer support efficacy. She's currently the co-chair of the National Emergency Number Association's Wellness Committee for Peer Support Workgroup and is a member of Nina's Educational Advisory Board. Pam is also on the State of Missouri Service Board Training Committee and the State of Kansas Coordinating Council Training Committee. She's an advocate for mental health and wellness for public safety professionals. Welcome to the show, Pam. Thanks, Wendy. It's great to be here. Yeah, you have uh, quite the impressive background. I'm really excited to, to get into the conversation with you today. You have so much, um, so much to offer, so much great information. I think our listeners will really get a lot out of, of what you have to say. Uh, so I'm curious, um, we've talked about this before, but you started out your career, um, as you call it, under the headset. I love that expression, as a dispatcher, where you spent about 15 years. Um, but if you could just go into a little bit about how um, you got into the line of work of dispatching, and I, I realize sometimes that or a lot of times that this type of career field doesn't necessarily something that we choose, it chooses us. That is true. And that did happen to me too. I actually thought I wanted to be a cop and I went to the academy and I don't know about you or some of your listeners, but I just couldn't quite keep up with the physical part of it. So embarrassing, but um, it was suggested that maybe I would be good in dispatch. And so I went to dispatch and I never left. And then. Um, I was kind of dispatching some of the people that were in the class that I was in at the academy, and they were out in all the weather and things, and I was nice and toasty inside at the dispatch console, so maybe it was a better fit for me anyway. Yeah, I hear you. So when you first started out, was it here in the Midwest, or or where, where are you from originally? Yeah, I'm I'm actually from here. I was born and raised in Belton, Missouri. And it's just a little bit south of Kansas City. And I started my career for Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. And the rest is history. 
so after about 15 years as a dispatcher, which that's quite an impressive amount of time to work as a dispatcher, um, how did you start or what, what kind of motivated you or inspired you to start shifting towards your work in peer support? Well, that is a long story. Um, what happened was I took a really bad fall that really affected me. I had a, a child involved. And just the cumulative stress from several years of taking calls, it, I don't know what happened during that one call, but it changed me. Um, I, and this is very personal and I'm happy to share it with you. Um, I don't remember driving home after my shift and um, I just kind of lost it mentally. And I, I, went to therapy for a while and I just decided that maybe this wasn't for me anymore. And it just kind of prompted me to do something. I need to do something for the other dispatchers who may be feeling the same way. And so um, I actually went back to school. I went to KU and went through the master's program and the capstone summer project. It was in 2018. Um, it was supposed to be for um, trauma governance in the public sector. And I thought with next generation 911 coming, which will deliver real time videos and pictures to dispatchers who are only used to hearing things, um, which as a side note, that can either be good or bad, actually seeing um, things that are coming in on 911. Sometimes your, your brain can block things if it becomes too much, but we're not going to have that capability anymore because it's going to be right in our face. Um, so I thought, what, what can I do? I have to do something. And so that's where peer support came in. And that's where it was built from my grad school capstone summer project of 2018. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because, you know, a lot of times the more people I talk to about this type of thing, especially those people like you that are so passionate about um, providing resources to, in your case, dispatchers, but really anybody who's a first responder, it typically stems from something personal mm -hmm. um, because we know firsthand that how it can impact us. And, and I really appreciate that because one of the intentions of this podcast is really to tell people stories like you, share it, normalize it, because somebody out there listening is going to appreciate and relate to what you just said. Um, you know, we, you know, when I say we, I, I'm law enforcement. And a lot of times until recently, many of us, including myself, we didn't really think about how the calls that we would take and the cases that we would work would impact the call takers. And so I really appreciate hearing from, from you about that. Um, we, we at the agency that I work at, we debrief uh, critical incidents with dispatchers. We don't just do it with law enforcement. We include all the first responders. And I have found it to be very helpful. Um, something that you just shared reminded me of something that another dispatcher shared. Um, you can't predict what, you know, what that one call is going to be for you. And I really like that, that you explained you're not sure either why, why it was that one call. It was just all of a sudden, maybe that was like that, the breaking point for you. Maybe you were just kind of hovering in that burnout stage and, and that's mm -hmm. just kind of puts you over the edge. So I appreciate you talking about that and sharing that you, you sought out therapy and resources. Oh, thank you. 
And I appreciate that your agency actually includes dispatchers on debriefings. Um, that's something that I'm really trying to make every agency nationwide understand how important it is and that the dispatchers are the first first responders. Um, just because they don't go to the scene doesn't mean that they weren't there. And one of the things that typically happens with dispatchers is that they don't get closure on calls that they handle because they have to go to the next call. And so maybe they're walking a suicidal person through not um, doing it and um, they don't know what happens unless the officer actually reaches back out to give them a little bit of closure. So I'm really happy that um, that your agency includes dispatchers. That's really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So. Um, just to kind of build on that just a little bit, you and I kind of are familiar with the way that that we train in peer support in the Midwest, in particular Kansas for me, but that is something that we definitely promote when we train our new peer support team members is not only do we um, include dispatchers, fire, EMS, or, or anyone who worked the scene, but we also really are trying to make a proactive effort to do some cross-training. Um, like we have dispatchers that will come through the basic peer support class alongside of, of the cops that make the calls. And, and so we find that even getting that face-to-face -face contact and building that trust and relationship is, is so beneficial um, because we now have supervisors, sergeants, and deputies that are on our team that are aware of this, and they will now reach out and call, if not visit the dispatch center after certain calls and give them that closure because that is definitely something that we've, we've been uh, made aware of that we never would have thought of before. Right, that's excellent. I love hearing that. And maybe we need to explain to our listeners what peer support is for some of those who don't know. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and do that? That was on my <laughs> list, but you know, this is the perfect time to do that. Okay, so how we like to define peer support is it's confidential, that's the most important thing. Um, it's the peer that does the same job as you in a high-stress environment. It's also not non-judgmental and can be immediate after a bad call. But the second prong to this is um, it's what it's not, and that is professional-level help. Um, a peer support team, there's another two prongs. So it can be listen and refer on the individual level, or it can be the debriefing or the system that you were just talking about. So I think that it's important that we kind of define what we're talking about today. Yeah, no, and I'm really glad you clarified that. And, and something else, if you want to touch upon, too, um, that is unique, at least for Kansas, I don't think every state has it, is that confidentiality clause. Right. That is the most important piece. Yeah, because in the state of Kansas, we do have a statute that protects peer support um, contacts. And so, which which I think puts some people at ease when you're talking to them. Because like you said, it's not just about the debriefing after something happens. A lot of the contact that we have is one-on-one -on -one with our peers. And sometimes they want to talk about something pretty personal. And as long as it doesn't meet one of those exceptions, anything that they tell us is, is covered by that statute, which I think is really good information for people to have. It is why don't you tell the listeners what is not covered? Okay. Um, so I feel like I'm being interviewed now, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> I 
that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. So for instance, if you're having a peer support contact with somebody and, and they reveal that they um, are suicidal or that they've committed a crime, uh, th things like that, things that are kind of obvious um, to the first responder world. But, but like if you're having trouble at home or even if, you know, depending on, you know, and so, some agencies also implement policy too to add things such as sexual harassment is something that's an exception, but that's not what's covered necessarily in the state statute. But but right. pretty obvious things like that, any kind of crime that's been committed, domestic violence or or suicide or, are kind of the number one things that we mention to people. That if you tell us this within the context of this conversation, that is not something that can remain confidential. And and when you explain that to people, it's 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 pretty obvious and they agree. And, and that's usually not um, something that's a barrier to continue the conversation. Right. And I also want to add a little bit to that. So if somebody comes to one of our team members uh, for peer support and we say that it's confidential, um, we also want them to understand that it is confidential um, with um, some things that they may not have done correctly for their job. We're not going to go tell their supervisor that they came to us and said, I messed up this call. So I think that it's important that we make that determination, too. Yeah, exactly. Because whatever agency that you work for and whatever type of internal mechanism is in place and, and you know, with law enforcement, it's typically professional standards used to be called IA could still be called that mm -hmm. in some places. Um, that is completely separate from peer support. Right. So Pam, can you tell us a little bit, you, you do so much when it comes to peer support. If you could just kind of elaborate a little bit on the different, um, you're on so many different committees, you do so much to promote peer support um, for all the call takers in the state of Kansas and Missouri. Tell us a little bit about how you got started. I know you referred to your research project, which kind of paved the way to the peer support um, interest, but can you elaborate a little bit about all these, these other organizations that you work with? Absolutely. So that's why I'm so lucky that I get to work at Mark because we are a council of governments. And so, um, we cover 10 counties, five in Missouri and five in Kansas. So if one of our over 700 dispatchers are involved, so if one of our dispatchers needs to talk to someone, we actually have the, um, roster on their console so they can pull it up 24-7 and find someone on there that might be a good fit for them. But the beauty about the roving team is that if you don't gel with the first person that you um, talk to, there's somebody else that may have a better um, fit for you on the 52-member team. So that's why we like the roving idea. And also what we have found out is that Small rural agencies, as, um, as you were just referring to, they don't want to talk to somebody that they work with because they might have like a two-console um, comm center. So they don't want to talk to their partner about their personal business. So that's what makes it uh, so nice to have the roving team where you can just call somebody who does the same job as you and maybe a different county or even a different state. Yeah, that's a really good point because um, that's something that is really great about being part of such an elaborate network of peer support because you, you mentioned First Midwest, and I know we will get to that. Um, but even in our agency, it's larger. Um, we have over 500 people, 
But there are occasions when people do not want to speak with members of the team that are working within the same agency. And so it's really great to point that out. Peer support is about talking to your peers, um, but your peers don't have to necessarily be the ones that you work with day in and day out. Right. And additionally, I wanted to mention that we also have um, a commander level peer support team that has has kind of um, come about because of the success of the 911 specific team. And so now they have 52 members as well. And they are actually building calls all over the United States all the time. Um, I usually see the numbers amp up whenever they do a um, conference, virtual conference now because of COVID. But um, also if they have a magazine article that comes out I always have a lot of commanders calling in wanting to talk to one of our commanders as well. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is a wonderful program. Um, we did have one of our colonels from this mm -hmm. from our agency attend and, and gave raving reviews about that particular program. And what's important to mention, and I'm going to have you speak to this, is what the distinction is and why it's so important to pay attention to command level peer support. Oh, of course. So. Um, typically in a debriefing, you just have the frontline staff going to those and they don't want to talk to their commander about their feelings. And certainly um, the leader of the pack, if you will, certainly does not want to talk to his frontline staff about how he was feeling insecure on scene of whatever the incident was. So that's that's what makes it so nice is that um, our commanders can just handle each other on their own levels. And let me explain what the levels are. So for the police side, it's above a sergeant. And for the fire side, it's a battalion chief or above. So those are, those are the um, designations of what a commander is for our team. Yeah, and thank you for explaining that distinction because um, that's kind of how we operate at our agency. We follow that model as well. We do have some lieutenants and some captains that have been trained in the basic peer support class just because there was kind of a pause for the command level training there for a little bit because of COVID. <laughs> yes, um, COVID again. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, I think it's important for people to understand too. So a lot of times we think, well, when you're a commander, you're not out there day in and day out, but they have the added stress of all of the years where they were out there that have built up. And then you have this added pressure of taking care of your troops and taking care of the agency. So a lot of times I don't think people realize that can, the impact can be even more compounded because of the fact that um, they've got all these added stressors other than just, you know, making the calls. Right. And a lot of times they have to report to the mayor or the city council or um, even the media. The media really rakes our commanders through the coals sometimes. And um, it's it's nice that they have a place that they can vent to other commanders now. Yes, definitely. Couldn't agree more. That's so great that you were able to start that. And, and I believe, um, if I'm not mistaken, you said that that was made possible by some grant funding? Yes, it was the CCTA grant funding that started that, which is the Complex Coordinated Terrorist Attacks. Um, so they actually provided that as part of the training because they want their um, commanders to have good mental health when they're out handling these terrible types of situations. So that's where it actually came from. That's great. 
Now, if I have a commander listening to this show or somebody wants to refer a commander to their agency, how, how would they go about doing that? How would they contact you and find out about that? Um, you can certainly email me or um, call me. I'm pretty sure you'll probably provide my contact information at the end. Yes, definitely. So, Pam, can you tell me about your work with the organization NINA? Absolutely. So, NINA is National Emergency Number Association. And what I do for them is I'm the co-chair of the Wellness Committee's Peer Support Work Group. And what we have done over the past two years is um, come up with a 58-page document called NINA Peer Support Team Development Implementation and Oversight. And what it does is details basic components to develop, implement, and oversee a peer support team. Kind of a how-to, if you will. And the last few pages are actually um, real documents from several agencies across the United States that um, can, can help you build your own team regardless of budget. And that is actually going to be housed on Nina's Wellness Continuum website very soon, actually probably within the next week or so. You'll be able to access that if you're wanting help building your own team. That's wonderful. So if we've got dispatchers listening and they're trying to figure out, well, what's the best way to get started if they don't already have a team in place at their agency, they can get onto this website and get this really great resource. Yeah. And actually, if they already have a team, it is helpful as well because it can help build other resources into it that they may not have even thought of. Now, oh, that's great. That's good. Really good information. So, Pam, can you tell us about the 911 Saves Act? I've, I've seen a lot of media attention um, about this particular legislation. Can you just tell everybody what you know about that? Absolutely. So, the 911 Saves Act was um, introduced by Norma Torres. She is from California and she used to be a dispatcher. And the reason that we are looking for reclassification, um, the OMB actually has dispatchers as secretaries versus an emergency responder. So you can imagine how with technology changes and the way that um, dispatchers handle calls, why that doesn't match. It's important that 911 dispatchers are reclassified because as technology continues to push more things to dispatchers, it's really important that they will be able to get the help that they need for mental health resources, and with the reclassification, it will help them get those things that they will need. And when I say other technology, I'm meaning um, what will the future 911 call center look like? With all of the technology that's coming in currently, you need, we're also adding ring doorbells or shot spotter, which detects gunshots. Um, drones, autonomous vehicles, things that are going to be coming in in the future, we need to make sure that we take the human factor into consideration. And with the 911 Saves Act passing, it will help us um, give the resources to the dispatchers that they will need in the future. You know, that's a really good point. I hadn't actually even thought about that. So, um, first of all, thank you for explaining that because, you know, we, we know research has told us. Um, especially if you're somebody who's interested in this topic and pays attention, that dispatchers have um, the same, if not higher in some circumstances, rates of post-traumatic stress as other first responders. 
And so now you're saying with this new technology on the horizon, which is going to literally put them on scene for lack of a better way of explaining this. Now they are going to be seeing the images, the same images as those that are actually on scene or seeing. Right. And interesting that you brought up the research um, impact. So I will tell you that Dr. Michelle Lilly from Northern Illinois University has done a study on PTSD. And she has shown that in 911 communications personnel, 18 to 24% um, suffer from PTSD. And I want to kind of bring that into perspective for you. So in the general population, 3.5% of men and 9.7% of women show PTSD. But in communications, it's 18 to 24%. So that's very significant findings. And I really encourage you to Google Dr. Michelle Lilly and look at that research because it, it's really interesting. Yeah, and maybe we can even add a link in the show notes on that research if somebody's interested in, in reading that. That's a great idea. So, yeah, I mean, and that, that doesn't even account for it. It's the same for all first responders. Um, that's just those that we know of, those that actually go ahead and seek out mental health services. Because we think about all the other issues that are associated with this, this work, burnout, compassion, fatigues, you know, th- things like that, that we don't even... We don't, that don't even classify as PTS or PTSD. Right. And what we have also found is that unmanaged stress can lead to depression, cardiovascular disease, obesity, fatigue, sleep disorders, the list goes on and on. But that's, that is even more um, significant for dispatchers because they have a sedentary job. And a lot of times, which I know we talked about this earlier, they, there's no closure on 911 calls. They work shift work with long hours and mandatory overtime, and a lot of times they're understaffed. Um, And with all the cumulative calls, it can lead to compassion fatigue. So those are some things that we really want to concentrate on when we start talking about PTSD numbers with dispatchers. Yeah, and you, you know, you alluded to all these challenges that dispatchers face that I don't, I don't know that people are really take the time to think about. So when we talk about the fact that dispatchers are a little bit more sedentary just because of the nature of the work mm-hmm. and not having closure on calls and, and all these other things, what is it that you recommend or what type of training is available to kind of combat some of those things for dispatchers? Well, um, you did have our friend on earlier on one of your uh, podcasts, and that's Major Darren Ivey. He has a very good class on building resiliency, surviving surviving secondary trauma. You also had Kim Colgrove on talking about meditation and mindfulness. Um, She just launched uh, Training Academy, which I know you're part of. Thank you for that and uh, offering yoga for first responders. Um, And you have done some videos for us for dispatchers to do some yoga from their chairs. So all of those contributing things are really helping the 911 industry. Um, another suggestion that I have is we do have several uh, PSAPs within the MARC region. A PSAP is a 911 call center that have um, stand-up desks, and they even have treadmills under some of them. And we're, we're hearing some really good results where some dispatchers have even lost 20 pounds just from going two miles per hour a few hours um, into their shift. So. 
I feel like we're trying, um, but we still have a long ways to go. And I'm so happy that you're on board with all of this and helping us do it. So thank you so much, Wendy, for everything that you do for dispatchers. Oh, you're you're welcome. And I, I think that's that's I really like how you just talked about that. Um, because um, I think it's such a small investment up front to really make a long-term impact by the standing desks, the treadmills. Um, I think that's wonderful and that every dispatch agency or however it's run should really consider that. Is that, is that something that you're looking at trying to promote um, with, with your, in your role right now is to encourage, um, encourage decision makers to implement that? Absolutely. Um, what we would really like to see is that administrators really start um, allocating more of their budget to the wellness programs. I think that if they started doing some research on that, they would find that their um, numbers for absentees or um, sick time would go way down because they're investing in their human capital. And I would like to propose the challenge to the administrators to start doing that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That would be a great idea. I am a big proponent, and, and this is something I'll probably get into in future shows, of just the foundation of wellness and resiliency. It absolutely has to start on the physical level. Um, we need to really make sure that we're encouraging and supporting first responders, and in particular dispatchers who are more sedentary than most, in helping them become active as much as they can and moving around while they're at work and providing some options for healthy things to to eat while they're there and right. all of that. Right. And that's that's a challenge too because like you have a lot of dispatchers who work overnight. Well what's open for food overnight? Fast food. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I do encourage um, meal prepping, meal planning, nutrition, because people just don't realize how important that is for your um, your whole body to to be healthy and and how that affects your brain function. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, I'm going to switch gears for a minute because I really want to make sure we talk about this. Um, Mark has um, a kind of a relationship and it's through this command level peer support with an organization called War Horses for Veterans. Yes. I, I, I actually interviewed Patrick, um, but if you could just kind of tell everybody a little bit about that and, and recently uh, the video that was done for the uh, the officer safety and wellness conference that we just we just had, which is a nationwide conference for for law enforcement. Okay, so War Horses for Veterans um, that has actually become part of our our training curriculum for the commanders. It's interesting to see the styles of leadership that come out in the round pen with all of the other commanders watching the one commander in the middle with the horse. I've seen micromanaging styles. I've seen all kinds of different leadership styles. But the interesting thing is at the end of the session in the round pen, if the horse trusts, if the if the the relationship is built between the commander and the horse, the horse will follow that commander out of the pen. So that's the goal of the whole thing. So it's really interesting to see the types of commanders, if they're the micromanaging style, that they might have to do it two or three times before the horse will actually follow them out. Um, I, love, I love seeing the change of the body language of the commander who's actually in the round pen. You can actually see 
some of the stress melt off of some of them. It's so interesting. I encourage everyone to go out to War Horses if they haven't been out yet. Yeah, it's a really wonderful organization. And uh, yeah, it's it's amazing to me. I have just a small uh, exposure to War Horses. I've been there once, but I've also had a little bit of experience with some equine therapy in a different organization called The Battle Within. But what's, mm-hmm. what was amazing to me is the how intuitive the horses are. So everything that you're saying, I, I would have not necessarily believed it until I experienced it myself and observed it, how just how these horses pick up on our emotions and our energy and, and how once somebody realizes that by seeing this large animal respond to them, what an impact that can make. Right. And if the if the commander walks in with high energy, the the horse starts acting like it has high energy. If they walk in calmly, then the horse stays calm. It's so interesting to actually see it with your own eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really is. And so recently, War Horses and Mark and all the great work you guys are doing with command level peer support was featured at the Officer Safety and Wellness Symposium. Right. The International Association of Chiefs of Police, um, they were interested in hearing what we're doing. And so I've received so many calls from all over the world now since that has aired. Yeah, that does not surprise me because that was a really great video. And actually, I think we can, um, if that's available, we can probably add that link as well for people to check out. Absolutely. It's a 27 minute video. So be ready to watch it whenever you click it. (laughs) Make sure you have enough time. Yeah, it's it's good stuff because what it does is just for for listeners to know is that it it talks about the program, but it also um, people who have experienced it and gone through it also provide um, input and how beneficial it was for them. Yeah, and it actually provides a live um, session for mm-hmm. two of our commanders, so you you can actually see the leadership styles too. Yeah, that's that's great. So you touched a little bit upon this, but um, tell us. Um, if you don't mind, just, you know, you've been featured, your, the work that you do has been featured in different publications, you've been on other podcasts. Are there any good other good resources if people want to find you or information about what you're doing uh, that we can direct them to? Sure, I'll give you some links to some of the recorded webinars and um, national level conferences that have been virtual because of COVID. So that is one of the good things that came out of COVID that is positive that now all these conferences that people weren't able to go to, they can go to all the time with recorded links. So I'm happy to provide uh, the links to those things. Yeah, I, I would appreciate that. And I'm sure the listeners would too. So just to kind of wrap up, I want to make sure that that if somebody is listening, who's a dispatcher or um, is a family member of a dispatcher um, and they work you know, specifically for those who might not have access to resources, what 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 would be some of the first steps or what can they do? Where should we direct them if they they need resources to try to get something started at their agency? And then I'll add on to that. And what do you recommend that they do if they themselves are struggling? Okay, so first I will say go to Nina's Wellness Continuum microsite. There's plenty of free resources on there. You do not have to be a NENA member to access them. So some of the things that are on there are mental health resources, studies, apps, books, nutrition, physical health, um, and other websites that could become resources. 
And what I will say to people who are listening, if you're struggling, you're not alone and it's okay to be okay. And if you see someone not acting like themselves, say something because you may be the change for them that they were um, wanting to have and didn't even know that they needed. So please just check on your people. Um, it will help create a, a healthy you for yourself and for your family and for your community. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Thank you so much, Pam. So uh, before we wrap everything up, is there something that I didn't ask you or something you want to make sure the listeners know about all the wonderful things that you're doing um, before we end today? What I would like for people to consider is the 911 center of the future. When we were touching on that a little bit about the technology, um, I, I just hope that administrators will start incorporating the human factors into training and exercises and policies because it's so important to make sure that we have healthy dispatchers for healthy communities. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Thank you so much for that, Pam. And thank you really for all of the work that you are doing and you have done. I mean, you're just kind of my spirit animal. <laughs> spirit <laughs> animal. <laughs> when it comes to wellness, um, I could, that was the first thing that came to mind. But um, no, in all seriousness, though, I mean, you, you can't really put a price on the passion that you have um, for this type of thing. You uh, are involved in so many wonderful things. You've made so many great things happen so far. And it's just really exciting to see what you have planned for the future. And I'm really glad that I've had the opportunity to get to know you and work with you. So thank you so much. Well, thank you, Wendy. And thank you for doing the things that you're doing for the wellness community. Oh, well, it's my pleasure. And I feel the same way you do. So um, we will call it a day. And again, thank you so much. Thank I hope you enjoyed the show. We covered a lot of great information with Pam. I encourage anyone who's listening, who's either a dispatcher, a family member of a dispatcher, or just any first responder, if you found this episode helpful, please share, subscribe, and give us a review. As first responders, we're all in this together. Although we have varying job responsibilities, at the end of the day, I truly believe that we all have the same end game. It's to make a difference and to be useful. We owe it to ourselves, our families, our agency, and of course our community to take care of ourselves and each other. If you're not a dispatcher, but you work with one, let them know how much you appreciate them. Let them know how a call they put out ended up so that they have some closure or just thank them for doing such a good job. We should be lifting each other up and cheering each other on, not trying to outshine one another or compete with one another. The sky would be awfully dark with just one star. 